actually, I, I love that um, SFI is doing this community work, you know, working with the unhoused or cleaning up the beaches or other ta other um, other activities that you're involved in. I, I'm, I'm a I'm a person who came up on service and uh, the Dharma has always been expressed through service for me. So I really appreciate that you're doing that. In fact, um, I want to speak about that a little tonight. I want to speak about altruism a little tonight, not as a, you know, something you have to develop because you're a good Buddhist, but just as a natural expression of, of who we are. And, and I want to speak about it in a very... Um, particular way. So His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, um, once suggested that the balancing factor for futility, um, our helplessness, our feeling like we can't affect the outcome of the world, etc., the balancing factor for that is altruism. And this isn't just a highfalutin idea. Yeah. For me, this, this teaching had, was was both a, a guide and a formidable challenge recently uh, during my, my visit to Mexico City. I went to Mexico City at Christmas to have a vacation, to have a holiday, yeah, with a dear friend of mine from Italy. And, you know, we had a nice meal and then we were walking in the main Zocalo, the main plaza, and I don't see well because of my strokes. And I accidentally took what I call the grand misstep. And I stepped off a very high curb and my body met with some very unforgiving cobblestone on the street. And I, I laid there for quite a long time, not knowing what was happening. And uh, my friend Roberto wanted to call an ambulance. And I said, no, wait, 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 let me just see. Let me sense my body and see, did I just shock myself here? Did I just bang myself up? Or is there something more serious? And, and as I laid there in the gutter, I realized, oh, I can't move my leg. Something really bad has happened. Yeah. And so uh, he called the public ambulance. And uh, I laid there in the gutter. And two and a half hours later, the public ambulance arrived. Yeah. And while I was in the, in the gutter there, lying in the, on the cobblestone, um, Actually, some very sweet things happened. You know, the Mexican people are very kind, you know, in general, I would say. And some people came and wanted to stand me up and get me going again. And I, you know, declined those offers. And, and, uh, and then, you know, somebody came and, and put a piece of cardboard under my face, between my face and the street. It was a very kind gesture. And then as this uh, light rain started to fall, um, a woman came and put a, a shawl, a light blanket over me to keep me a little warmer. And I, I realized that altruism was already touching futility. And eventually the, this ambulance came with the paramedics and all that, and they, their public ambulance service, but I asked them to take me to a private hospital, the closest one, because I knew something was really wrong. And, so they did, they were very kind and brought me to this uh, hospital and I went through the ER and x-rays and all those things and they determined that I had a broken femur, the big bone in your thigh and I needed an emergency hip replacement. It's funny, when I was lying in the street, I thought I could have broken my femur, I might need a hip replacement, but then I thought, oh, but that only happens to old people, you know? And I just, it's really amazing how the mind can can distract us, you know, can be lost in delusion sometimes. So I stayed that night in the hospital expecting to have surgery the next day. And in the meantime, I called my son, who's a very well-connected guy, and, and uh, told him I was in the hospital, not to worry. And a little while later, he called me back and he said, Dad, um, I've, I've been able to reach this surgeon. He's one of the best surgeons in Mexico City, and he's coming to get you in 20 minutes. And I, I was like, no, I don't want to go anywhere. I'm in pain. I just got, I just got here, you know, I'm finally safe. And, and he said, no, he's coming. And he's sending his junior surgeon with him. And so sure enough, this 
surgeon arrived in an ambulance and scooped me up with all my medical records and took me to a really good hospital, the, the equivalent of the UCSF of, of Mexico City. Yeah. And, and I don't know how my son did it, but he somehow reached this surgeon on his cell phone at his home on Christmas Day. I don't know how he did it, but he did. And the surgeon, you know, he was very kind. And he said, the hospital I was in was kind of subpar and that I should come to the, this other hospital. And so we went. But honestly, I was a little hesitant to, to take my son's offer. Uh, you know, I, my, I love my son beyond words, but this networking thing that he was doing, I was like, well, how did you find out about the surgeon? Was this just something you heard about at Burning Man? I mean, like, who is, who is this guy? And, uh, and he explained that, he works with this organization and on the board of that organization is a orthopedic surgeon and the orthopedic surgeon recommended this guy as the best surgeon. So here I was on my way to this other hospital. And throughout this experience, I often felt really helpless, honestly, like vulnerable and sometimes hopeless actually and, and lonely. Honestly, even though my friend was there and I had the support of my son, I, I felt lonely. And there was futility. I felt this sense of uselessness, like I couldn't do anything, you know, barely spoke the language. I, you know, I felt stuck. And honestly, I don't like hospitals very much. I, you know, I, I created Zen Hospice Project with a friend and I've seen a lot of bad things happen in hospitals, so I, I don't trust them. And I'm usually really grumpy when I'm in hospitals. And I was this day, I, I had a really negative state of mind, you know? And this led to more pessimism and mistrust and seeing others as adversaries and this reactivity that was there. That's what contributed to my loneliness. And so while I was, in this new hospital, I called my friend, Joan Halifax, that I teach with a lot, wonderful Zen teacher. And, and she um, shared with me in passing this, this teaching of the Dalai Lama about futility and altruism, that the balancing factor for futility was altruism. And I took on this phrase as a kind of practice. And it helped me to recognize the altruism, which had already occurred, of course. and. Um, Working with this phrase, it started to shift my behavior and, of course, also shifted the way in which others interacted with me. And so I did my best to express my gratitude and to be gracious and to, even despite my pain, to try to hold a mirror up to the basic goodness of the people who were caring for me. It was hard, you know, we didn't speak the same language and it wasn't always easy. And we used Google Translate sometimes to, to help us. And I remember this one night, there was a home health aide who were like on the bottom of the hierarchy, right? They're, the, they're not paid attention to very much and they get paid almost nothing. And I suspect in Mexico, they have about three weeks training. Yeah. And this woman was standing at the end of my bed with her Google Translate, you know, typing in, some medical term, and I heard out of her smartphone, thorax is slightly to the left, repositioning is required. <laughs> it was very formal how it came out. And I just started laughing, you know, and our eyes met and there was this laughter and we just met human to human, you know, even if we couldn't really understand what was happening. And in that moment, I I surrendered a little bit, you know, I let go of my superiority and my, I know how to do this. And I've been in healthcare for 40 years and all my somebodyness. And in that moment, uh, the moment of this woman repositioning me, I said to her, I'm really grateful for your training. Maybe she only had three weeks training. And I said, I'm really grateful because because of your training, you're going to help me be comfortable in the bed tonight and I'll sleep well. And I'm very grateful to you. And her face just lit up, you know. But then I saw something else in all that surrendering and relaxing of my somebodyness. I was the recipient of her kindness, of her altruism. 
And so, of course, I saw in that moment that giving and receiving are the same thing. They're, they're both open-handed gestures, right? I mean, you can't give like this. Open-handed gestures, giving and receiving, they're the same thing, actually. Yeah. One thing. Hmm. This was my very ordinary experience of being in Mexico City. And I was in the hospital for a few weeks. And my friend Roberto, who was with me, who I felt guilty for ruining our vacation, uh, stayed with me every day. And Roberto and I met many years ago in Krakow when we were going to help lead a retreat at Auschwitz in Birkenau with my then mentor, Bernie Glassman, wonderful Zen teacher. And Bernie used to call the time at Auschwitz a plunge, called him a plunge, and it was a retreat, but we just didn't sit there cross-legged, you know, meditating all the time. We, we plunged ourselves into the dark, darkest aspects of humanity, actually. That's what it was about. And, and he would say that a plunge is an effective way to take your take you out of the place of knowing and drop you into the place of not knowing. That's what it plunges. And so being alone in this hospital, Mexico City, where I didn't speak the language, where I was in excruciating pain for a lot of the time, it was a kind of plunge, you know? And, and my friend Roberto and I, we... Uh, we understood it to be a plunge. I, I said, this is a frank plunge. You know, you're, you're bearing witness to my loneliness and my cynicism and my attitudes of superiority. And, and also my being embarrassed by spilling a, you know, a urinal full of pee in my bed. All of that was part of this plunge. And Roberto's primary job was to get me another glass of water and hand me the urinal and, you know, help clean my sheets, change my sheets. And he knew me as a Dharma teacher, you know, and so here I was not being the Dharma teacher. I, I was just being grumpy old Frank. We were in a plunge. Hmm. Bernie used to um, offer us what he called three tenets, three guidelines, if you will, for our work at Auschwitz. He would bring together, you know, um, SS officers and children of people who had lived in the camps and Buddhist practitioners and um, people from all over the world so that we could hear everyone else's voice, actually. And these three, uh, these three um, tenets, the first one was not knowing. Start with not knowing. You know, letting go of your fixed ideas about yourself or others or life, you know, and the difficult circumstances you find yourself in or the political upheaval that's occurring in our country or the racism or all of it. The instability of our life, not knowing, that's the first thing. And the second is bearing witness, being able to bear witness to both the joys and sorrows of this world, you know, to practice seeing all of the aspects, including your attachments and your judgments. Now, it's hard to live solely in not knowing, of course, because life also asks you to face the conditions that you come in contact with. But when you bear witness, you open to the uniqueness of whatever's arising and meet it just as it is. That was our job in this hospital in Mexico City. Bear witness. When you do this, when you bear witness like this, you get a more nuanced picture of what's emerging. So not knowing and bearing witness. And the third is take action. You know, and we used to say loving action, and, and loving action arises out of not knowing and bearing witness. And it's impossible to predict what the right action will be in advance, you know, or what the timetable for that action should be. So it, it arises as a result of the not knowing and bearing witness. 
And ideally, that loving action serves everyone and everything in the picture, not only just you, but also everyone else who's in the picture and the circumstances that you find yourself in. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, it's the right action is just to continue on with the first two tenets. Holiness, the Dalai Lama, he, he often says, in Tibet, there are many, many illnesses, but they're all cured by one medicine, he says, and that's the medicine of love and compassion. Now, maybe that sounds simplistic, but what he's suggesting is that these qualities are the ultimate source of human happiness. And um, we all need them. They're needed at the, they are, they live at the very core of our being. And we all need them reflected by others. And, uh, and, and sometimes in our lives, particularly maybe our public lives, you know, they're seen as naive. And this is tragic, I think. Because the practice of compassion, you know, it, it's not just a unrealistic idealism. You know, it's a, most effective way to pursue the best interest of others. Mind committed to compassion, like just sitting here, all this listening to this, you know, it's a constant source of energy, of determination, of kindness. It's like a seed that when cultivated, it gives rise to other good qualities, you know, to tolerance and to strength and to confidence. It helps us overcome fear and, and insecurity. His Holiness said that when he considers the lack of cooperation in human society, he can only conclude that it stems from ignorance of our independent nature. You know, when you go down to the beach and clean up garbage, you understand something about our independent nature. When you go to St. Anthony's and sort clothes, you understand something about our independent nature. It's not just you, the good guy, doing something for you know, some poor unfortunate. You're in it together. His Holiness had a really great um, example. He said that often I'm moved by the example of small insects, he said, you know, like bees. You know, the, the laws of nature dictate that bees work together in order to survive. And as a result, they possess this instinctive sense of social responsibility. And they have no constitution. They don't have any laws or police or religion or moral training. But because of their nature, they labor faithfully together. He said occasionally they may fight, you know, and that happens. But they keep going. And in a way, the whole colony survives because it's based on cooperation. And human beings, on the other hand, uh, well, we don't always function that way. You know, we have constitutions and legal systems and police forces and religion, remarkable intelligence, you know great capacity to love. But despite all these extraordinary qualities, we lag behind insects. We lag behind bees. I mean, think, think of us, those of us who live in San Francisco, right? A million people living together in this large city, you know? And despite the proximity how closely we live together, 
Some people don't have one human being that they can share their deepest feelings with. And then they live in this perpetual state of agitation. And to me, that's really sad. We're not solitary animals, we know that. If we were, we wouldn't build these big cities. But even though we're social animals compelled to, to live together, unfortunately, we lack this normal, everyday responsibility to our fellow humans. And we neglect sometimes to foster this need for kindness and cooperation and caring. We get so engrossed in our, our pursuits to, for material gain, to get what we want, you know, or to build what we think should be built. And, and pretty soon, you know, we're being driven by self-centered interest and we don't even know it. So I think things like going to the beach and cleaning up the garbage is a really good balancing factor. I think sorting clothes at St. Anthony's is a really good balancing factor. It reminds us of this. The development of a human society is based entirely on people helping each other. And if we've lost that essential aspect of our humanity, then we start only pursuing self-interest. You know, in our practice, our Dharma practice, we speak about the importance of engaging in the path through the generation of bodhicitta. Bodhicitta, you know this ex this expression? That is, mm, I don't know, we could call it like an altruistic aspiration to awaken for the benefit of others. Yeah. And with this altruism, even the slightest thing that you do, you know, the smallest thing, picking up a piece of garbage on the beach, you know, this small positive action, um, well, it, it gets, it fosters this quality of, of bodhicitta. And I would say that without bodhicitta, though we might have great wisdom and realize truth of emptiness, we won't really be able to realize the awakened state. You know, in my weeks in the hospital in Mexico City, I was in a plunge. I had to see, you know, who I could be. Not knowing, bearing witness, any loving action. Yeah. So I want to spend the rest of our time in a bit of a discussion and see what's on your hearts and minds. I mean, what if what I said landed for you? And where did it land? Did it land in your head or your heart or your body? You know, and, and maybe you might want to say something about how expressing your altruism helped you at times of futility. And again, altruism isn't just about giving. Yeah? It's about receiving also. Again, open-handed gesture, the same thing, giving and receiving. Yeah. So, so how has altruism helped you in times of futility? And here I'm not looking for the story, a big long story about how it worked, but 
what was the experience? What's it, what was this? How did you know it? How did you know it in your head? How did you know it in your heart? How did you know it in your body? Yeah. So that's one way we could go in. And you're welcome to just comment or, or ask a question if that you know, that's on your heart and mind, but you don't have to have a question. We can just explore together. Yeah. So if you would, just raise your hand digitally. You know how to do that by now. And Johnny will call on you. I, because of my vision, I can't see the little thumbnails. So um, I won't be able to call on you myself, but Johnny will be able to do that. So yeah, how is this landing for you? Yeah. What, uh, how is it landing? Um, yeah, okay, so raise your digital hand and let's have a, let's just inquire together. Let's see what we can discover together, okay? Nobody's got the right answer here. So, Johnny, anybody got their hand raised? Not at the moment, Frank. Not at the moment. No, oh. Not oh, here we go. Here's uh, Claire. Claire. Hi. Hi, everyone. Hi, Frank. I'm sorry, I can't turn on my camera today. That's okay. We can hear you. have you. to look at the picture of my cat. Um, <laughs> Frank, first of all, I just wanted to say thank you. I actually was at Upaya this morning, so oh. I've heard you twice, and... You know, you just never cease to inspire me to be the best, the best version of whatever I can be. Um, always, just through your your kindness and your sharing. I just wanted I just wanted to express that because I'm I'm so grateful to you. And I also just wanted to ask how you're feeling. Oh, thank you for asking. That's kind of you, right there. See, that's a kind gesture. And you know, I'm glad that you you, you feel. Uh, good in my company. I'm glad that the mirror I hold up reminds you of who you are. <laughs> and uh, I try to speak about the Dharma in a very personal way. You know, I don't want it to be something out of our reach. You know, I want it to be about spilling our urine on our beds and how we respond to that. You know, it's real. You know, I want to be real with people, with myself. And so I, for me, the Dharma is. I'm a spiritual pragmatist, you know. I want it to work in every dimension of my life. So thank you for your comments. And I'm feeling okay. It's been a month now since I broke my uh, femur and they sawed it off and put in a, what do they call it? I don't know. It's titanium prosthetic, I guess it's called. And so I'm walking. I'm, I'm able to walk. And that's a huge thing for me. So um I'm feeling really good. Thank you for asking. Yeah. And I, you know, it is because of other people's compassion that I can feel good. Not only the nurses and doctors who looked after me, but the people like you who are wishing me well. Yeah. I'm absolutely convinced that all of this, this whole Mishagash, you know, is part of what heals us. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you. Okay, Johnny, who else wants to speak? Maybe. Somebody has something they want to explore, you know, maybe you don't believe any of this nonsense I just said, you know, or maybe you think your meditation practice is restricted to the meditation hall. I don't think so. I think it's a living, breathing thing. Yeah. So what's on your hearts and minds? Yeah. Huh? What's on your hearts and minds? Yeah. Um, go ahead. Be brave. Here's Maggie. Okay, Maggie. Okay. What's on your heart, Maggie? I'm sorry. I just had a... Well, I did that later. Um, anyway, I just had an example of what you're talking about where I was out taking a walk with a person who just needed some companionship, mm -hmm. um, feels feeling very alone and all. And we go out to the local state park and we're walking down this trail. And just all of a sudden I found myself on the floor or on the ground in the mud oh. because my foot had gone out from under uh -huh. me. I was fine. But getting up was a bit of a trouble. And though, so who is helping me? who I think I'm helping, but <laughs> my friend who we're walking and she's helping me get back up. 
Yeah. And it, it, it was just a kind of classic example of what you're talking about. Yeah. Sure. I mean, it's a beautiful example. Thanks, Maggie, for offering it because, you know, we're the good guy, you know, we're the one on the white horse that can help this poor person who's so troubled. And, you know, I'm going to be the good listener and I'm going to listen to Pam's, you know, three ways of listening. And and then you slip and fall in the mud, right? (laughs) And all of those good intentions got mud all over them now, right? Yeah. 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 And then what happens is the person you thought you were there to help. Was there to help me. Exactly. We're in this together. We're in this together. So, so when that happened, Maggie, when this person was, you know, holding you by the arm or helping you stand up in whatever way this person did, how was it? What happened? What was it like to be on the receiving end of that? It was great. Uh-huh. It felt wonderful that, that whereas I would have had to turn over, putting my hands and my knees in the mud and all, and she managed to help me get up, that the only part that was muddied was my butt. And so, you know, it. but it, it was just, it was, she was so strong and it just felt so good to be helped. Yeah. I, I don't know how else to describe it. It just well, felt good. Mm-hmm. You're describing it really well. So there was some feeling. I get the sense that when you're describing it, there's a kind of humor about it also, you know? Oh, yes. Yeah. So this is a really good example of giving and receiving, right? I mean, uh, again, this open-handed gesture, giving and receiving are an open-handed gesture, right? They're the same thing. You can't give like this and you can't receive like this, right? So, you know, it was a surprise. You didn't expect it to go that way. But the receiving is generosity. The receiving is altruism. Being willing to sit there in the mud for a moment until you realize that you need help and that this person is very capable of helping you, that's altruism. Yeah. And I want to add, as I said a moment ago, to every action of altruism that we are involved in supports, bodhicitta supports our awakening. Every aspect of it. It's not just when we're sitting, you know, like pretzels on our meditation cushion. Thank you, Maggie. That's a really good example of we're in this together, right? Yeah. Uh, welcome to the bee colony. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thanks. Who, who's up, Johnny? How about happy? Happy. Happy. There you are. Hi, Frank. Thanks so much for the amazing talk today. Um, Yeah, I think to answer a question around when I do the altruism, I think during your talk, there was a moment that I really felt it in my body. Like, I think today I was kind of, during the meditation practice, I definitely felt kind of distressed because... um, I'm ha- I had a conflict with someone I care a lot about, like on Friday. Mm-hmm. So I just felt kind of overwhelmed emotionally from the mm-hmm. conflict. So that's what I was like observing during meditation. But I think a lot of the, a lot of it was about me. So I think when you talked about the altruism, I think at some yeah. point during your talk, it kind of flips into like, oh, how did that affect this person? Like, so I I think I started to kind of like imagine well how does that affect this person what might they be feeling yeah and then almost turning my orientation not just like all about me and my anxiety and overwhelm but towards a little bit of like oh what how can i be there for them so so that's how i felt the autism tonight beautiful happy so it just kind of opens the field a little bit doesn't it you know, instead of it all being about me, whether, you know, sometimes that all about me stuff can be our grasping for materialism or our wanting to achieve or some of that stuff. And sometimes it's just be that we're completely caught up in our emotional turmoil, right? And it's not to deny the emotional turmoil, but it is to see that, oh, there's a bigger picture here. And if I include more of the picture, it not only might be of service to this other individual in this case, but it's of service to me that I yeah. too am, you know, something about this experience relaxes all that self-centeredness. Yeah, all that self-centeredness. 
And I'm, I realize. I'm yeah, yeah. I yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. So great that you experienced that. And that that's the outcome for you of this, of this talk. I'm glad, you know, and then this practice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when we, even when we're sitting meditation, you know, just sitting here, you know, as we are in our little places in our little thumbnail boxes, you know, sometimes we think that we're doing this for ourselves. Mm. You know, we're sitting for our benefit and we'll wake up and we'll be more conscious and all this stuff. But <laughs> actually, we're always sitting for and with all beings, always. And that's why I really think it's important that we, when we're sitting here on Zoom, that we have gallery view and we keep our eyes open and we look at the gallery and we realize we're actually sitting with everybody. And not just our friends and the people we know, everybody. And I mean everybody on the planet. And I, and I believe that this idea that we're going to awaken without our care for others, without wanting to free other beings, in a certain way is a selfish act. Yeah. And so I think real Dharma practice is unselfish. It doesn't mean you don't care for yourself, but you don't just care for yourself. Yeah. So good for you that you could relax that self-centeredness and include others and then have a bigger picture. Yeah. Good for you. Happy. Nice to hear it. Nice to you. Thank you. Yeah, I guess I'm curious about so like in the inter interpersonal relationships. Yeah. I think it definitely helps me to almost like orient me to see other people's perspective. But I think like sometimes when I in in that emotional turmoil that you talked about, it's just like almost like my mind just it just doesn't occur to me to yeah. think on the self centeredness sure. you know. So I don't know if you have a suggestion on maybe practices or how to yeah. speed up the process. I don't know. <laughs> well, don't be in a hurry. That's what I say. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah, of course, you know, we're conditioned to think of ourselves first. Now, all of our conditioning is around that, you know? So, you know, that's a big boat to turn around, you know, that that's going to take a while to change that habit, you know? So uh, I don't think there's any tricks actually happy. I do think that sometimes just stopping, just stopping right in the middle of whatever mm. frenetic activity our mind is involved in, you know, as if you were sitting in the woods. I imagine you were just plopping yourself down in the midst of a forest. Mm. And there it is. There's the trees. Mm -hmm. There's the cool breeze. There's whatever it is, you know, and you're observing it naturally. And the fact that some trees are crooked and some trees are straight it just helps you to understand something about them. Mm -hmm. And it's like that with interpersonal relationships. It's not, I don't mean to suggest we should become a doormat. That's not what I'm suggesting. You know, our, our work is to care for ourselves as well as others. Yeah. But we won't be able to do either until we first relax into not knowing. Instead of thinking we know everything that should happen, bear witness to what's occurring. And then take loving action, which includes mm. caring for ourselves and the other. Yeah. I think those three tenets are good guidelines for us. Okay. Okay. Thanks, Thank you so much. You're welcome. Let's see who's got their hand up, Johnny. I can't see. I'm sorry. How about Madison? Madison. Ah, okay. Hi, Frank. It Hi, is Madison. great to see you. Thank Hold you. On. And I love your background. <laughs> um, two things. I find that in my work, I've been an organizer now for 11 years, working with extreme clutter and hoarding. And without knowing that I was practicing anything, I've been doing the one, two, three in my work because mm -hmm. there's no way when I started the work that I could walk into a scene of chaos and know what the hell to do or when to do it. So I made up this thing years ago called, oh, this is impossible. There's no way I could help this person with this situation. This is overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And so I would state that as my truth first. Mm -hmm. And I guess it was like a total surrender. And then I would find that the answer would come. And mm -hmm. I thought it was very weird that I had to state it in the negative. I can't do this. There's 
no way I could figure this out. Yeah. And so I thought, oh, that's interesting that there might be a little bit of a of a more enlightened approach to to what I've been doing. I mean, that it might have a more positive thing. So that was one comment. And the other thing was just that, unfortunately, my altruism is completely selective. And I was walking through the city today and I continue to get angry about the dirt and the tents and the stuff that I see in one part of town. And then I continue to relax and feel appreciative of maybe getting to the Embarcadero where Uh people are on vacation Mm -hmm. and I feel safe and can relax. And I haven't found any way yet to, um, to not have selective altruism. Yeah. Well, think of it this way, you know, one way is to recognize that altruism is in place. Yeah. That's important to recognize it. At least it's there, even if it's in its selective, you know, quality. And the other is to explore for a second, Madison. One of the things that happens with what you're calling selective altruism is that we get preoccupied with our personal distress, right? Like you do when you're walking by the tents, maybe you feel unsafe, et cetera. So, and then we do something to the other to relieve our personal distress. This happens in healthcare all the time. For example, a doctor says, you know, this person has terminal cancer, but I think we could just try one more dose of chemotherapy, you know? And what that is about is that individual, that physician trying to manage his own personal distress. So personal distress is me oriented, right? Mm -hmm. Compassion is other oriented. Compassion is the wish to relieve or reduce the suffering that we see in front of us. Yeah. So recognizing those, the difference and how they actually feel in the body and the heart and the mind, that's really an important way to recognize it, to understand. And to recognize that when I'm just acting on my, when I'm just trying to alleviate my personal distress, I'm in this continuous merry-go-round of, I don't know, sometimes trying to fix everything, trying to find a solution for everything, yeah? And we're, and we're continuously caught in anxiety. Can you feel the difference? Like when you're altruistic, it feels relaxed. When you feel caught in personal distress, it feels anxious, agitated, yeah? Can you sense that difference? Yeah, well, good. So that's your alarm clock. That's your wake-up bell, right? Is the feeling tone of what's occurring, the the agitation or the, you know, the, you know, anxiety that's there. So recognizing those things. And, you know, it's like when you said about going into the house where there's a lot of clutter. You first recognize your state of mind. You recognize the anxiety or the, you know, agitation that's there. And then knowing that, not being swept away by that, you can choose a different action, right? You can choose a loving action in Bernie's words, and that can address both your needs and the needs of the person that you find yourself with. And it doesn't mean you're going to fix everything. You may not be able to do it. You might be able to, you might not be able to straighten out that clutter in that house or address the person who's unhoused on the sidewalk. I think it's just, unfortunately, the deal with the homeless, and and this is the self-serving thing that you mentioned, is me going back and saying, I've walked these streets for 35 years, and they were never this dirty, they didn't yeah. look like this, and I'm not only having a feeling of personal distress, I'm angry, and even if I know that there are lots of political yeah. causes and it's not just the person who caused their own situation. There's a feeling of being enraged. Yeah. Like okay. they are ruining yeah, my they're city. Screwing I hate up to my make experience. myself as vulnerable, but yeah. what the hell? They're wrecking my city and I want it cleaned up. Okay. Great. And and understandable. So, you know, in that in that point of view, let's call it. 
right, which is what it is. It's a perspective. So sure. recognizing your perspective and recognizing how that perspective keeps you, I'm going to call it that keeps you safe, right? Because this is what I got. This is what the truth is. And I'm sticking to it, right? <laughs> now, think about not knowing for a minute. You know, a plunge, as Bernie said, is dropping us, letting go of all our knowing and dropping us into not knowing, right? Boom. And that's not to become, you know, wishy-washy, right? But it is to start to say, oh, there are many more pieces to this than I can understand. And this, this narrow view of how it is, what it's, the trouble it's causing me, is the way I try and stay safe. I got somebody to blame. I got somebody to be angry about. I, you know, I know who the enemy is and I can set my sights on them, you know, instead of recognizing the nuanced picture of all that contributes to this. Yeah. And I don't, I don't mean to suggest that that's still not hard, but here's the thing about compassion, Madison. We think in our Buddhist lingo we think compassion is relieving the suffering of the other person so you get this person off the street and you get them housed etc all right but compassion isn't just about relieving suffering not me anyway compassion is about allowing us to bear suffering to be mm. with suffering and to the true causes of that suffering become evident and then when we see the true causes of the suffering the walls of Jericho fall down, Madison. And we see what's really causing us pain. And it isn't just the guy living on the street. It's that my perspective also is causing pain. And right now, the thing I can, can contribute, the compassionate action I can contribute is to address that. Huh? I can't, maybe I can't do anything about this guy on the street, but I can do something about that. And so you start to see that compassion helps to reveal what the true causes are, the suffering, maybe ones that we didn't see before. Yeah. And maybe ones that we can do something about. We can't necessarily always do something about, about world hunger or, or, or the insanity of our culture sometimes, but I can do this, you know, you know, that starfish story, right? I can do this. Yeah. So, so sometimes compassion is about, bearing suffering until we can see what the truth is. And that truth may be about the other person or the circumstances, and it may just be about us. And so don't beat yourself up for having selective altruism. That's not going to help anybody. That's just going to dig in. So, but do be willing to see what your contribution to it is. And if you can do something about that, try. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, let's see. Johnny, who's got their hand raised? Let's go to Heather. Heather, okay. Thank you so much for your talk. It's been very meaningful to me. And I want to know what the starfish story is because I don't know it. <laughs> well... It's a long story, but I mean, it's an old story, but, you know, woman's throwing starfishes back into the sea and they're washed up on the beach. And somebody comes along and says, you can't do anything about that. There's thousands of starfish. It's not going to make any difference what you're doing. And of course, she throws one starfish into the sea and she said, well, it mattered to that one. <laughs> I mean, that's the story in short. Yeah. Thank you. What else is in your heart, though, Heather? Um. I started a new job three weeks ago and found out yesterday that my one colleague's mother died. Found out today that my one colleague's mother died yesterday. So um, can you talk about how to be there for someone who you know is going through a hard time yeah. um, in a, if you don't have any idea how to be there for them? I know it's a big question to ask in a short time. But it is a it is a big question. But, okay, let's let's. I have a I have a feeling, Heather. You know something about this. So let's just use the wisdom in your heart. Okay, let's see. So what do you imagine? I mean, forget about what's the right thing to do. What what do you imagine would be helpful in this situation? I mean, use your imagination. Imagination is important. What do you what do you imagine? <laughs> 
What would you want? Uh, someone to listen. I don't know. Okay, good start. Someone to listen, right? You know, in the in the Buddhist text, when the Buddha dies, uh, all the monks are some monks are sitting around in very you know stable, wonderful conditions. The monks and the nuns and they're all meditating and you know in tranquility. And there are other monks in the in the story that are pulling out their hair and rolling around on the ground and in agony, you know. And while I would like to have been one of the tranquil monks, I think if someone I love died, I would be one of the monks that was rolling around in the dirt, pulling my hair out. And what would have helped me is not for someone to come along and give me advice. Well, the Lord Buddha told us that everything is impermanent. Why are you doing this? You know, what would have helped me is if someone could just sit next to me and listen, or just sit next to me quietly. And they could only do that if they had looked themselves at their own suffering. Yeah, done their homework, so to speak. Yeah. And I think that company would be of more value to me than any advice I might give, any words I might offer, or any uh, tricks of the trade you might get from Frank. You know, So just your simple human presence without trying to fix anything. There's nothing to be fixed. This person's going to experience their grief however they experience it. And in a way, if it's okay with you that that happens, then this person has a refuge in you, somebody they can trust. Somebody that says, I'm right here. I don't know what to do either, but I'm here. And so I think you can do that. Yeah? Oh, good, good. I see that smile coming across your face. I like you just recognize, oh yeah, I can do that. I, I'm a human being. I don't have to know everything. I mean, you know, I work with people living on the streets who are dying. You think I know what it's like to live on the streets? I have no idea. But I know how to be with people. I know how to listen. And you know how to do that too. Start there. Don't give advice. Advice doesn't help. Okay, okay. thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Good for you. Okay, Johnny, we have a, maybe time for one more or two more. I don't know. Anybody got their hands up? I don't see any. How about you, Johnny? How you doing? What's been the effect of this on you today, tonight? Um, you know, Michael yeah. has. Uh, oh, oh, thank God, Michael has his hand up. <laughs> yes. All right, Michael, you go. I'm coming back to you, Johnny. Get ready, Michael. What's up in your heart and mind? To have oh, Michael, you're muted. There you go. Sorry. No, you you were muted. Go ahead and speak again. Yeah, I'm unmuted now. Thank, yes. thank you for being with us again at the Sangha. Always appreciate your your visits and your teachings, and um, glad you're on the mend from your fall um, in Mexico City. So, on my mind, speaking about altruism, is I'm experiencing for the first time a peer of mine who is gotten very sick and and we had lunch friday his name is gary and i'd like our sangha to keep him gary in our hearts he is on his way to ucsf in another week or so for a very long process of a he's got uh mds cancer cancer in the blood and yeah will undergo a, a blood transfusion, kind of a bone marrow transfusion for at least a month. And then- What's it know, like for you to be with Gary, Michael? It it, it was uh, touching and- um, What did it touch? It, my heart and and I, I listened, you know, I, yeah. I walked to the lunch Friday, not being trained in this sort yeah. of area at all. But just, you know, thankfully, my Dhamma training and education, um, I'm cool and he's a dear friend. And, and we just 
listen to each other. And I think to your point, it was a back and forth and that's all. And honestly, I don't know if I will see him again in an alive state, you know, mm -hmm. because of the process he's entering right. and I'm, he's going to be alone. So I, I just wanted to share that. Beautiful, Gary. Now you said it touched your heart. Okay. I'm, I'm glad that it did. Now I'm going to ask, maybe it sounds like a silly question, but how did that touch your heart? Where did it touch your heart? What happened when it touched yeah. your heart? What happened for you? Well, just um, there's compassion and empathy that huh? what he's facing is really serious. Yeah. And he may not live through this process. All right. So that's we know that that's a possible outcome. And that's the story. That's where the mind goes, right? Yeah. He may, may not live through this. But I want to know about Garrett. I want to know about Michael's heart. Uh, what happened for Michael? It felt good to be there for him. Uh -huh. It felt good to be there for him. How did it feel for you? It 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 felt good. I, I right. mean, what kind of good? It felt Going. caring. It it felt loving. You know, it felt like I was being a, a a dear friend. Okay, beautiful. So you your the way in which you're being was matching your highest hope for yourself. Let's call it. Yeah. And there was a kind of basic goodness which was coming up in you, mm -hmm. could be shared with your friend, not because you did anything special, just basic goodness, right? So there's Michael's basic goodness showing up. And we think, sounds like you, you, you could see that it was having a positive effect on him. Yeah, yeah. So that, in a way, that's so simple, isn't it, Michael? That we let our basic goodness show. Yeah. We don't have to know how to figure it out. You know, and you don't have to know whether you're going to see him again or not see him again. That's not up to you. But while, you're, while he's here, while you're with him, you let your basic goodness lead. And you don't have to know what's going to happen. You, you start with not knowing. Then you bear witness both to yourself and him. And then there's, and there's loving action, which is to reveal or show your basic goodness and to be the best human being, best Michael you can be. Yeah. yeah, that's all. We make it so complicated. It's not that hard. We know how to do this. We know how to do this. And, you know, what happens is we get lost in the drama of the story and we say, oh, God, how do I know? I don't know how to be with someone dying who's got blood cancer. I've never done it before. Yeah. And then you just recognize something very natural. And I would suggest, Michael, that this is for everybody, that when you sit meditation, you sit like this. Mm -hmm. Sit down, call forward your basic goodness, your aspiration, your highest hope for yourself. Sit there naturally and observe kindly everything that's emerging in your ears, in your eyes, in your mouth, in your body, in your mind. And that's how we practice. And, and doing that very simple activity, we recognize that we're sitting with and for all beings. Ah, no big deal. Very ordinary, very natural. But I think it's a good request that you make of the Sangha that they remember Gary, that in this moment they just bring Gary, even if they don't know him, imagine him and bring them into your good hearts and see that there's enough love in your good hearts to share a little with Gary. You know, it's not, uh, don't be stingy. Huh? Yeah. Share your goodness, your good hearts with Gary. May he benefit from those. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Michael. Thank you so much. Okay, our time has come to an end, I believe, Johnny. And I want to thank Johnny, first of all, for hosting this and uh, being a technical wizard. And uh, thank you, everybody, for your practice, you know, and for your willingness to inquire. And, you know, inquiry, inquiry, inquiry rather, requires not knowing, first of all. You know, coming up close to our vulnerability and not knowing and then bearing witness for a minute.
so we see what's really on our hearts and minds and then and then loving action you know toward ourselves and toward others so that ideally that loving action includes everything yeah and, and what allows us to do that is the first two bearing witness and and uh excuse me not knowing and bearing witness that's what gives rise to loving action yeah so Thank you very much. I'm very glad to be with you. Thank you for your generosity in offering Donna tonight. I really appreciate that. That's what helps me to stay here in my home and get my hip better. So thank you for that. And uh, and lots of love to everybody. And, and always my great gratitude to Eugene, my dear friend, for his trust and uh, his invitation. Thank you, everyone. Bye, everyone. Bye, Frank. Thank you. Thank you, Frank. Thank you, Frank. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you, Frank. Thank you, Sangha. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Thank everybody. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.